0: Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 26th of November 2018. I'm Joe and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yes, we're all back together again. I think we were missing you, Will, last time, were not we? I hope you've recovered from your man flu. I have, thank you. Good to hear. Right, well, let's crack straight on with the news and uh, some sort of NVIDIA and KDE-based shit from you, (laughs) Phelan, as usual. Well, about...
1: Three hours prior to this news story hitting, I bought myself an AMD RX 580 graphics card. So this is quite ironic and annoying, but (laughs) there we go. I'm enjoying it, so it's good. Um, But yeah, uh, NVIDIA have finally decided to contribute to KWIN to get their EGL streams in. They had previously a bunch of patches that were uh, on the GNOME side and um, this is to get Wayland working. And uh, the KDE developers were uh, very reluctant to actually do all the work themselves because they didn't want to have to then maintain it. Um, so that the NVIDIA developers got in touch on the mailing list and said, yeah, yeah, they're prepared to do the work. And they were asked if they were prepared to maintain it afterwards and they said they would. So maybe things are looking a bit more up in the Wayland NVIDIA world for KWIN. Are we talking about the free software driver or the blob? It's the blob, or the sort of back-end link to KWIN. So how it all low-level ties in, I'm not 100% sure, but, um, yeah, graphics, you know, that's not text, so I don't know what to do about that. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So it's for the
0: pragmatic people then?
1: It is for the pragmatic people, yeah. I believe the Nouveau thing kind of ties in probably because it's something to do with uh, memory handling and linking APIs together using GBM and, oh yeah, I don't know. It's all magic and voodoo, who cares? But uh, the main thing is your NVIDIA graphics card might actually start performing a bit better and actually work under Wayland as opposed to going to X11 fallback mode is what would happen right now. Um, so, I mean, that that's good. But I guess we have to kind of see how they go on with it because they did have the new memory allocator they were trying to lead with some of the various other people. And NVIDIA kind of haven't got anywhere with that. They said they were going to finish it off in 2018, but that never happened. So, yeah,
2: I mean, fingers crossed. It's nice to see them show willing. Um, Mm. And who knows, um, you know, there may be a load of NVIDIA cards flooding the market with uh, the end of bitcoin
0: mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the end it's just a sale
1: <laughs> how many thousand percent increase do you need to get your your prediction
0: right for last year fuck off <laughs> but honestly it's just cheap at the moment now's the time to buy i'm telling you buy 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 <laughs> huddle 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 <laughs> yeah what is it like three thousand now or something oh dear <sighs> Yeah, it's dropped significantly. But you never know, it might get to 100,000 by the end of the year. (laughs) If enough people buy. But you're right, actually, that there might well be a lot of graphics cards now because it's just not really economically viable. Because people weren't mining Bitcoin, of course. They were mining other altcoins or whatever and then selling them to trade up to Bitcoin. But now the whole market is somewhat collapsed. You might be able to pick up relatively cheap, like 1080s or whatever. So...
2: Yeah, I've got a 1080 and it's a wonderful card. I mean, I don't think anyone buys an NVIDIA card for the moral imperative, so... uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you're looking forward to this actually improving your experience then?
2: Well, I, you know, I'd kind of resign myself to always having to use X11 for as long as I have this card, which hopefully would be for a long time. So yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great if I could switch to Wayland at some point.
0: It's not the only KDE story that's in here, though, I presume this is you as well, Phalem, then. Something about accessibility. It might have been, Graham. (laughs) but no it was actually me uh, yeah <laughs> lib
1: Q accessibility client version 03.0 has been kicked off um so they're finally getting a bit more of work done on this they set up a fabricator page for it which is the kd um source control management project planning type of system and uh they they have about 27ish uh tickets up there so far and there's about four users that are working on it and the main areas all seem to be the focus of finding stuff on the screen or where it defaults to keyboard navigation missing and labels for the a11i standard which must be the accessibility version of the translation one
0: it's um, a11y is accessibility it's like kubernetes is k8s it's like you just take out the number of letters in the middle. Okay, we don't have personalized reg in our cars over here, so I don't have that (laughs)
1: skill that people have where they just go, oh, it obviously means that. It's like, right, okay. (laughs) Have you never heard of that before, though? I have never heard that before, but I think that's half the problem of this, is the fact that no one ever hears about the accessibility stuff or knows what to do with it. So Mm. this is good. And if there's at least four people doing it and possibly more then, yeah, keep it going because I, I think it's important and maybe with not too much work and a good library, it might make it, you know, sort of no-brainer to
2: sort of stick it into your application. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. But some of those tickets are really ambitious, like make Ocular accessible. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> you feel that that might be a sort of root ticket for many, many, many more. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. Because accessibility is traditionally not being very good in KDA, has it?
2: Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think some parts have been good and some parts have been bad. I mean, some, many of those things, for example, on the on the fabricated board are to do with making things keyboard navigable, and that's always frustrated me in KDE. You know, lots of parts of it are. Some great global shortcut cut configurations and gestures, but some parts frustratingly aren't.
0: Is that something you dedicate any time to with Ubuntu, Will, accessibility?
2: Not anymore.
3: Um, we rely on Upstream to do that, but... Um we have done in the past with unity 7 uh, and, and unity 8 to to a lesser degree i suppose but uh, it's like a personal um hot topic for me is is making sure that accessibility is as good as it can be because um by and large uh, these are people who, who need these accessibility um, options who probably would struggle to get their voice heard or you know, reach out to the community and get involved in other projects. So I think it's something that everybody needs to take seriously. And uh, it's really good to see people doing exactly that in
0: uh, in KDE. Yeah, good stuff as usual, then, from KDE. Uh, right, let's move on. And uh, I wonder if Graham and Will are going to be a bit silent on this one. So Shuttleworth, at the OpenStack Summit, just randomly announced that Ubuntu 18.04 was going to get 10 years of support, and that has just left everyone saying, does that mean it's free for another five years after the standard five years, or is that going to be part of the ESM that you have to pay shitloads of money for, or what? And no one seems to have an answer, so... uh, yeah, head on the chopping block, Will. What's going
3: on? Oh, well, this is uh, an interesting development. Uh, the reason that it's come about is because people like the financial industry and telcos all have these very long-lived projects. Wh- and uh, in some cases, they, they have to have um, this uh, this long-term, very long-term support, I suppose, of, of 10 years. So it's definitely going to be interesting to those guys.
0: Um, and um, more information will be forthcoming from Canonical. <laughs> politician's answer, nice. (laughs) So yeah, it sounds like it's not official yet, and you're not going to give us a scoop, which is fair enough. Um, It seems pretty obvious to me that it will be paid for. Um, There's no way that Canonical are going to foot the bill for supporting another five years. I mean, five years is enough already. That must be very expensive when you start getting into kernels and stuff like that. So it would be shocking to me if it was free. And I did actually speak to someone who works for Canonical, who shall remain anonymous, who spoke to Shuttleworth about this very shortly after he had made that announcement. And he said it was ESM, but now apparently that uh, is not the official policy yet. And uh, it, this this contact of mine told me that it's going to be announced officially shortly. So hopefully by the next time we record, we'll know. But I mean, come on, it's pretty obviously going to be paid for, isn't it? And you say telcos and stuff like that and banking. Really, this is to compete with Red Hat. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Red Hat offers about ten years and now Canonical's gonna offer that with Ubuntu. The only thing though that Red Hat does is
1: it doesn't release every two years. Yeah. And if you can imagine by the end of that support cycle, there's a four extra LTSs potentially being released in between that. I hope they're not going to do that and do it like on the third one after that, like the 2024, would that be correct? No, wait, 2026. (laughs) Jeez, I can't do max. Yeah. Yeah, 2026. Yeah,
0: Jesus. Because the thing is that 12 or 4 is still supported if you're willing to pay. Yeah, And that is like, what, at this point, three years? No, hang on. No, a year and a bit out of support. Watch us do time mats.
2: I know. <laughs> so is Windows XP by the British government.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Microsoft are still supporting it, aren't they? For, for the right price. So it does beg the question as to whether this is just going to be 1804. I mean, that's all we know at this stage. I'm sure that Will you know this and are not going to tell us this? But um, when this announcement comes, I really hope that that is going to be clarified what's going on with 1404 and 1604 as well, and also what's going to happen with 2004, which is not that far away in terms of, well, I suppose it's quite far away, but you know, in terms of enterprise, it's not that far away. People will be planning for that now, I would have thought. So I really, really hope all of that gets cleared up. But, um, Yeah, I suppose we'll just have to wait, you type lip bastard. Watch this space. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of Red Hat, they have released their RHEL 8, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8 Beta. And it's funny that it's got quite a lot of features from Fedora, which is not that funny because Fedora is the upstream for it. But they've renamed them all (laughs) so that people think they should actually bother paying for it. Genuine article. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like, specifically the um, uh, alternatives to snaps, which they're calling application streams this time around. And um, I, I said it when I spoke to Chris about this, it does feel very different, doesn't it? This Rel 8 versus 7, a lot has happened in the last few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so, some of the parts were, I don't know, you, often with a, a Red Hat release you feel like the leaps are so big that so much changes in between that... You know, it was really getting long in the tooth by the time the next one came along because you're trying to support those larger enterprise clients who you know might be a bank or whatever and they just don't want to move quickly so you have to try and drag people along but a lot of the stuff in this looks like they were holding back and they've suddenly had the floodgates released because there's a lot of new things like the network driver stack stuff that actually looks really cool um, and some of the security stuff that, well, uh, just by the nature of the the new versions of uh, SSL coming out, TLS, that they have to do those sort of things. And they have to plan for the fact that this could be, you know, another 10 years before they actually get to take it offline. So the, 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 it's it must be a nightmare to try and plan that type of stuff, which I'm
0: sure Canonical will find out soon. <laughs> Do you ever have to deal with Red Hat in the wild then as part of your job, or is it all just Ubuntu these days?
1: Um, I, no, some there is still some Red Hat stuff that I'd use, yeah. Um, but a higher proportion of it is Ubuntu, yeah. And
0: is that all seven, or is it even earlier?
1: Oh, it's even earlier, yeah. Well, and I won't go into how early some of it is, and <laughs> that's the end of that particular question.
0: <laughs>
1: and obviously, it's the extended support release stuff. Yeah, it's not CentOS. Yeah, um, yeah, they definitely paying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right, then carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I'm quite interested in is Stratus. Um, I kind of caught me surprised that this is actually going to be in the beta, which is an interesting concept for people who aren't able to or don't want to use ZFS or ButterFS, which Red Hat has done to neither. So, I'm kind of interested to test that out, so I'm going to try and get myself a beta release or try even the Fedora version of it if I can, just to see how that goes, because it would be nice to have something in kernel and fully supported as opposed to you know out of tree or something that people just continually whinge about, even though they're wrong with ButterFS. So Stratus looks
0: quite interesting. It does look very interesting. It's a bit early, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm surprised it's there. But, you know, as far as I thought, it was just a kind of an R&D type thing, but all of a sudden it's there and ready to to test out. So, I mean, maybe it'll go before the final release,
0: but yeah, interesting to see it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Although the thing is that as it is going to be about 10 years of support, and this is very much the future of storage as far as Red Hat are concerned, because they're just not interested in going down the ZFS route, although they just think that... They just don't want to take the risk with the licensing. So they had to come up with this Stratus thing. So maybe they will put it in, and maybe they'll just sort of caveat it or something. I don't know. You know maybe wait for the point release fixes to, to upgrade yeah. features and I don't know. Yeah. Rare that they would do that, mind you. But Yeah. But what about Cockpit, though? They're not calling it that. They're calling it Red Hat Enterprise, the next web console. I hear very good things about it, um, if, especially if you're going to be managing several servers. Have you ever tried that? I have never tried it but it sounds terrible. Why are you not using SSH? <laughs> Shocking. So only noobs use GUIs of any description is what you're trying to say there. Oh, well, if you do have one, it should be in
1: your centralized repository where you're pushing things out across your entire fleet in the horrible case of YAML <laughs> where you've typoed out it and you just want to kill yourself at the end of it. But no, otherwise, I, I don't use a GUI on a server. It's just Webmin. That, <laughs> it just brings up horrible horrible feelings of crappy configs sprawling everywhere and you never know if you have the module installed and all this i am sure cockpit's done way better i just it's kind of you get a bad taste for it you're just not gonna go back and try it again but maybe i should look you know that all the pros use (laughs) cpanel jesus (laughs) (laughs) well
0: just chamada triple seven and own it by root everywhere yeah let's do it (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL, that's for late night Linux, and you can get $100 credit to get you started, and you've got 60 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them, with full root access in data centers all over the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. They have pre-configured Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS and even FreeBSD images and also some Container Distros, CoreOS, Fedora Atomic and RancherOS. And they've got tons of one-click apps like LAMP and Lempstacks, WordPress, Discourse and GitLab. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month but you can scale them all the way up to ridiculous numbers of CPUs and amounts of RAM and storage. But if you need more storage for your particular droplet size then it's really easy to add either block storage or object storage. You just decide how much you want, attach it to a droplet, and get going. I really love the backups, and I've actually had to use them before when I've made some mistakes because it was just quicker to restore the backup than it was to try and figure out what I'd done wrong. And do check out their blog, blog blog.digitalocean.com. They recently posted about Outline, which is a VPN which is really easy to set up with DigitalOcean. It's just a few clicks, and it spins up the Docker container for you. And you've got a VPN going straight away, which these days more and more people find useful. I've been using DigitalOcean for years and I've always recommended them even before they started sponsoring the show. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $100 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. Um, all right, well, let's talk about Wi Fi and uh, an LWN article that is currently paywalled, but hopefully won't be for too much longer. And um, IWD, which looks like the future of networking on the desktop.
3: Yeah, this is starting to look very interesting. Um, WPA supplicant has been around for a long time now. It is mature, but it still has these sort of, um, creaky edges and it doesn't support every use case going. Um, I don't think it's ever had a stellar reputation for being uh, a reliable and full featured piece of software. So it's interesting to see IWD come along, um, with view to replace it. Um, it is still fairly early days and it's not, uh, IW is not fully featured yet. There are still, um, a few significant features missing, but it's heading in the right direction. Um, it's already got support for Conman and Network Manager. And so, um, yeah, it will be interesting to, to take it for a spin and, and to try it out. And so in, um, in 1904, we plan to enable Network Manager to work against IWD. Um, and then allow people to install IWD and test it. It won't be the default, but who knows? For
0: 2004, this could be the way that we go. What's wrong with WPA's supplicant? Because I've never ever had a problem with it. I mean, I don't have enterprise networks to deal with or whatever. I've just got a very basic setup. But I've just never had any problems, so I don't see why this needs to be replaced. I think maybe you're in a minority. Um, a lot of people have weird
3: problems where um, WPA Supplicant won't roam between uh, network access points on the same network. It has trouble connecting to enterprise networks. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's just a bit uh, of a muddle, as far as I know. The the, the code is, is quite complex and pretty unmaintainable. Well, that's not not necessarily true, but it's certainly a large and complex code base, which could do with uh, a bit of a refresh, I think.
0: Esoteric, shall we say. Yeah. Presumably this will be popping up in Arch
2: very soon, Graham. Well actually I've just checked. Um <laughs> Yes, and it and it has and it um I should I must give it a go. Maybe I can report back next time because it Yeah, not now. No. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Yay. Right. No. It, yeah, so it would be really interesting. I'd love to try it out and I maybe because I use ART on a on a Mac, um I do have all kinds of wireless issues. Um so it'd be interesting to see if that helped at all. Presumably if it doesn't have an
0: ethernet jack you're not interested though.
1: Well, ironically the talk about enterprise networks the the time I've tried to use WPA clients and they have EAP and various weird setups with keys, I have literally had to just plug in the dongle to my laptop to get a network connection on a wire because i gave up after a while because it just it just embarrassing really you're there going ha, 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 i'll just type this in ha, 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 i'll work any second now just uh oh fuck right and then just plug it in and give up
0: and just don't be modern <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man the best wireless in the world just cannot compare can it oh no wireless is shite let's face it oh i agree
3: i totally agree
0: yeah um, all right. Well, uh, exciting hardware news then uh, that Graham you knew about beforehand. It didn't bloody tell us, you bastard. Uh, a new Raspberry Pi, although it's not a very exciting Raspberry Pi, is it? To be fair,
2: no. Maybe that's why it, I didn't. Know. <laughs> <No. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Although I mean, if you yeah, I'm, it's great, and I'm sure that it fits a certain kind of you know everything's it's it's better in in a revisionist way. Um, and as I said, probably in that thing that you heard. Um, I'm getting confused now by the number of pies and the number of revisions to the hardware, which I think mm. makes it, it, it makes it difficult to maintain the clear, crisp image that the Pi Foundation tried so hard to maintain in the early days. You are allowed to mention Bug Report. You can give it a good plug. <laughs> what is it? Is it bugreport.co.uk or The Bug Report? It's bugreport.co.uk. It's okay, we're keeping it a secret club. All oh, right, yeah, fair enough. Secret anti-EU club. Yeah, Wait, anti-EU. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> We're trying to win back that fifty-two percent, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh dear, oh dear. So yeah, it's it's a slimmed down version of the three B plus, isn't it? This is now the three A plus or three plus A, whatever. It just it's only got one USB port, I think, and smaller, but on uh, half the RAM as well. Crucially, mm, yeah. That seems like a strange choice to me, the the 512 meg. Obviously,
3: I get it. It's a cost-saving exercise, but um, it, it feels like a, a, a limitation on that board that's that's really going to affect its usefulness.
0: Yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't just spend the extra $10 and get twice the RAM, mm. personally. But you would have more
1: of the power usage like that. I think that's... Remember when they first brought out the A+, plus or A, or whatever it was? I also get confused by them. They said the uh, LAN jack uses up some ridiculous amount of electricity, like two hundred milliamps or something i don 't know um so like cutting that out if you pu- if you're putting that thing in a box to take photos at night time on a battery, then you 've already almost well no okay i 'm not going to say you doubled it, your your runtime, but
0: you have increased it anyway, yeah, it kind of makes sense for certain use cases, but I think it's pretty niche use cases, but I think the real story here is that this is the final piece of this generation of Pi's, and that we're going to see a new generation probably next year. I think I might have to put it in my predictions, mm. not you are allowed. <laughs> and it's, they're going to have to change the system on a chip to enable it to have more than a gigabyte of RAM. But there's that $35 cost. Now, I have heard rumors, and they are nothing but rumors, that there's going to be Uh, a a version that is more than $35, which is kind of goes against what Eben has said in the past about wanting to keep it at that $35. But there might be like a premium version or something that's got two or more gigs of RAM or maybe even four or something and potentially proper networking that's not over the USB, you know, wired networking that's not over the, the USB system. So who knows? It's all rumors at this stage, but we do know that this draws a line under this generation now, and we're going to see something exciting within months, probably. I don't know. I would have thought probably spring, based on what they've uh, done before. You sound optimistic. <laughs> well, you sound pessimistic, Graham, and you've got the inside
2: track. No, I know absolutely nothing. I, I only know from talking I, – I haven't spoken to Evan and, and Ben about this for ages and ages, but they're always so stuck to that $35 price – and this has been always been the number one question for like 5 years what are you going to do to ramp up the next because everything needs needs to be changed everything that they've built towards making the raspberry pi in terms of the, yeah the, the soc has got to be different um They surely they must have been designing it for a couple of years, but there's never been any clue of that. Um, And things like this, like this, you feel like they've got the silicon backed up in the factory. They're just going to use it. So I just I honestly do not know. I have no idea. But they have got massive buying power, so they could potentially use
0: that buying power that they've now built up to squeeze the cost down of something more powerful with more RAM. And so I like to think that they can keep it at the thirty five dollars and you know, innovate that little bit more, give you that bit more power. And crucially, I mean, that one gig RAM limitation in the mm. main pie, that is it's just too much to do much useful with, I think. I thought a
1: lot of these have been used in uh, industrial sort of applications as well. So are they going to just sort of throw away that market that exists, that could be funding towards the educational side? I mean, I know they want to be, they're all about the education, but... You know, If you have to sell millions of units and make a profit out of it, surely you wouldn't turn your back on that as well or leave it to the knockoff versions like the Banana Pie or insert other names here, which I
0: have no idea, but yeah. Well, the thing is they they do keep making those old ones as well, don't they? I mean, I think they were still making the twos um, for quite a long time after the three came out because there are people who've designed products around them And they need them. And you've got the compute module as well, which is more suited to like seriously embedded stuff. So I think that they will keep making the previous generation once the new one comes out. But I suppose it's all just speculation at this point. But something that's not speculation is the new-ish version of Raspbian, which has got one killer feature as far as I'm concerned, and that is proper hardware acceleration in VLC. So even in the standard desktop version of it, you can actually watch videos now. Yeah, this is very
3: interesting to see. I've been trying to run Myth TV on a Raspberry Pi as a front end for a few months now, and it's it does use the hardware acceleration, um, and it's not been very good. Uh, the the audio has lagged behind. It's had it's had trouble um, syncing the video and the audio when it's output both things over the HDMI. That could be uh, Myth TV. It could be the drivers. It could be the silicon. Who knows? So I will be very interested to try... And play back one of my recordings on the on the, the new version with this VLC that's built in or bundled with it, uh, and see if I still have the same problems. Because if I don't, then I know where to point the finger. Why not Kodi, um, well Will? Uh, I don't. I didn't like the Kodi UI when I last tried it, which was um, hmm, seven or eight years ago. Uh, <laughs> and the MythTV one uh, passed the wife acceptance
2: factor test, so uh, that's what we went with. Because I find the acceleration works really well in Kodi and yeah. with the code with the Pi Codex as well. I even find it's got that 3D because I, I quite like 3D films. It's got 3D acceleration, which you can't even do. I can't even do it on my i7 Nook mm, plugged into wow. um, plugged into the TV. So it does work well. And if you're using Myth T V as a back end, it works quite well with one of the PVR plugins in Kodi. What type of 3D is that? Well, it's the it, I do the huge. I own them, but like the rip of uh, Blade Runner in 3D, for example, onto oh, wow. okay. onto onto storage. Is that two interlaced different frames, or how does that work? Do you know? It must be. It must be interlacing. It's, yeah, I did. I did know exactly what it was doing, but it's the the specific codec that decodes it is only for those kind of interlaced frames. So there must be a way of um, encoding them, to the two scan lines together for each eye in the same frame. That's bizarre. Don't you feel like a bit of a dickhead though, sitting there with the glasses on? Yeah, I I, I. know this is a bit off topic, I suppose, but I was really cynical about 3D for years and years and years. I really didn't get it. And I don't get it particularly. But when there is a good film in 3D, I just love it. I just I watch it in 2D and 3D too. But I think it was seeing gravity in the cinema that did it. It's just so immersive. Did that help you get past the terrible storyline and lack of physics? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I leave that to Interstellar. <laughs>
0: Look, there's nothing wrong with using a fire extinguisher to like get yourself around in space. <laughs> <laughs> it works perfectly. I mean. Oh, why are all those objects in the same orbit anyway? Because they're not oh dear God. <laughs> uh, it was good. I watched that on my projector, it was very good. Um anyway, right then. So that's Raspberry Pi news. So uh new kernels revert specter mitigation. This doesn't sound good for security, but it does sound good for performance. Indeed. Um, I
3: remember when Spectre first came out, I saw some graphs that Amazon, AWS, had put out showing yeah, roughly 50% drop in performance for this sort of particular workload. Um, and yes, I, I believed then, and uh, I, I'm sure lots of other people did, that something was going to have to give, people would not be willing to sacrifice that performance if they could find a way to protect those machines um i.e not hook them up to the internet or uh, allow people to browse around on them then they could probably opt not to have these fixes uh and it seems that linus has gone down the same sort of route of thinking and and decided that for a lot of um a lot of people this is not uh really a necessity um and the performance impact is too uh, severe to to warrant being on by default um there are new fixes coming down the pipeline. Um, a few. Where are we? Uh, four point twenty will have these uh, these new fixes, uh, and so for four nineteen point four and four fourteen eighty three, uh, they have reverted these um, these Spectre fixes uh, and
0: re- restored their performance. So, do we agree then that these attacks are theoretical enough and not real world enough to worry about? Versus the performance here, I guess it depends how you want to think of
3: um, uh, the risks the risk factor here if they are running ser- uh, services that are publicly accessible or even you know via a proxy, then yes there's a big risk there, but if they 're stuck away in a back office crunching numbers uh, and n- no one on the internet is ever going to um, be able to touch them, and you trust your own internal staff then yeah, you're probably going to be okay. You know, the the
0: risk factor is is a lot lower. Because it is very specific workloads, isn't it? It's when you're hitting the network as well as the CPU at the same time that you get these 50% drops in performance. It's in kind of standard workloads. It's not anywhere near as bad as that, is it? So I think you do have to judge it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and I
3: think if you are running those exact workloads, then you just be smart about where you deploy those machines and make sure that they are nice and secure um and then yeah switch this stuff off
1: and possibly by amd processors
0: <clears throat> <laughs> yeah but they are still affected by some of this stuff aren't they? no no they're not they're fine
1: that's why, that's <laughs> oh, why right, i just right. bought one so it's
0: fine it's oh, all good. So. yes so i mean do you come across this at work then Phelim? i mean these decisions of whether to deploy the the fixes or not
1: no because that kernel is too high um <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, it's 4.15 is the highest one in 1804, and I always stick to the LTSs, so it will be sometime in early February, I think, when that comes out, which will be the hardware extended version for 1804 systems, and I'll probably still be on the upgrade path from 16.04 anyway at that point, so, um, you know, whether we stick with a LTS base kernel or go
0: to the hardware extended support one, that that'll be kind of probably tying into all that sort of stuff. Right, I want an honest answer to this question. How many ten oh four boxes have you still got access to? Zero. That's good. Twelve oh four? Zero. No, no really no, Zero. All right, yeah. oh, so everything's supported then? Yeah, I guess
1: it would if you don't count that one eight oh four box that's still somewhere. <laughs> Shh,
0: damn it! I didn't go
1: back earlier. No. It's walled into a cupboard. I can't
0: get to it. <laughs> it's as close as. Right, well, quickly wrapping up the news with tomorrow's world special, which is on iPlayer and available for UK viewers, but not for you, Phelim, and not for the rest of the world. Racist. Yeah, tomorrow's world was a show from the eighties and nineties, oh, which looked at much earlier, nineteen sixty-five. Really yeah oh okay well i wasn't really around before that (laughs) so um (laughs) yeah it was looking at like future technology and whatnot and this special was a 90 minute special that um was on recently uh after being off air for over 10 years i think Mm. um and it had loads of ubuntu in it so you demanded that we talked about it
3: (laughs) well yes that's basically it it was it was very interesting to see so it was it was kind of a, a recap on, oh, wasn't technology funny in the old days? Uh, and then they looked at some, some new technology, which was primarily self-driving cars and robots and, uh, you know, modern AI ML kind of workloads effectively. And yes, it just so happens there was quite a lot of Ubuntu in there, which was very pleasing to see. Um, but it raised the question for me of, about, is there a gap in the schedule for something like tomorrow's world which is a a more sciencey approach to new technology because the programs we have at the moment um the gadget show for example which is um distilled down to here's an app for your phone uh, and bbc click which is a bit more um I don't know middle of the road I think we well I'll ask you guys do you think that there is a gap in the market for something which is primarily about the science behind the technology not about the uh, the whizziness of it
0: I think that it would be interesting to see it but I don't think there's a gap in the market for mm-hmm. it I think that people don't give a shit about that and these days they just want things that work they just want an iPad an iPhone or you know Android or whatever they just want the thing to do the thing they don't really care why it does the thing And those who do care about that are more into, like, the Raspberry Pi's and the hardware hacking and stuff like that. So there probably is a market for it, but I don't think it's a huge market. And um, probably online would be
2: the place to do Mm. it rather than on old-school telly. I don't know if if there's a market for programs about old antiques and ballroom dancing which apparently there is i'm sure there's some place for technology well the antique stuff during the day is so cheap to produce
0: that that's why they do it because no one's watching it well, how much would we charge we wouldn't charge much <laughs> <laughs> do we know anyone at the bbc let's uh let's put a pilot together <laughs> we're doing a pub car park <laughs> <laughs> very
2: cheap to make i'll do the synthy theme tune you know bbc radiophonics workshop yeah take my money <laughs> <laughs> onto a bit of admin
0: then and first of all thank you everyone for supporting us on paypal and patreon very much appreciated patreon has ticked up a little bit recently uh that has not gone unnoticed and um yeah remember that if you are willing to pay five dollars a month on patreon you don't have to hear the adverts anymore you can get an rss feed with for the ad free episodes go to late support to find out about that we even had a bitcoin donation this week, which I still haven't got round to sorting out. Well, hurry up, Joe, because it's devouring <laughs> at an astronomical rate. Look, I've told you, buy now. It's going to go up. Uh-huh. It always does. It kind of goes down a bit, and then it goes up a bit, and then it goes down a bit, but it always goes up. It's like house prices. Honestly, buy now and hold, hodl. Uh, if you want to tell me how wrong I am about that, then you can uh, go to latenightlinux.com slash contact for various ways to get in touch with us. Okay, this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by CDN77, go to cdn77.com slash LNL, that's for Late Night Linux, and they are a UK-based CDN provider with a standalone live streaming platform, and apart from sponsoring loads of open source projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, and Gentoo, one of their main clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all over the world. They're a real innovation leader, they were the first CDN to implement HTTP2 and brotli Compression. And everything's developed in-house, including their own DDoS protection, and they can push 80 gigabits of live streaming traffic through just one server through optimizations. And this CDN consists of over 500 servers all running Debian, and only a few of them are VMs, the vast majority of them are physical servers. And they've got 30 points of presence all over the world in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia with over seven terabits per second of network capacity in total. They've got excellent 24-7 live support and you can either go pay as you go or they've got monthly pricing plans. Either way, there's no commitments and no hidden costs. And if you go to cdn77.com slash LNL, you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card needed. And then if you do stick with them, you'll get an extra 10% on top of their first payment bonus. So go to cdn77.com slash LNL and start delivering new content. You always seem to hear that the FOSS community is really toxic and if you go to our Linux, it's just like a toxic shithole and like you should never go there, you should never read any comments or anything. But I'm not convinced that that is true at all. I think it's the complete opposite of that. I think that the... Linux and open source community are very forgiving and just have rose-tinted glasses about everything, basically. And what got me thinking about this is a couple of examples in the fairly recent past that I'm going to be very vague about and not be specific for obvious reasons, where members of the community have kind of made money from the community in not so uh above board ways, shall we say. And yet people seem to look the other way and just be very forgiving of that. And that got me thinking further on. Well, it's not just when people do stuff wrong. It's the software in general. Like, is it not the case? I mean we were talking about the um WPA subcontent stuff where people have just put up with shit networking for ages just because it's open source. And okay, there are many, many examples of really solid open source software, most of which doesn't involve a GUI. But there's a lot of like, really ropey shit Linux and open source software that just people put up with, because they've got this goodwill. So I mean, am I just completely wrong here? Is it full of toxic wankers? Or is everyone just like really forgiving and hippie-ish deep down? I think, as with all of these things, the truth lies somewhere in between.
3: There are definitely the, the first group of people that you describe, the uh, R Linux people, definitely exist, and I tend to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, but similarly, the the very kind and gentle and encouraging community does exist. It's whoever's happens to be shouting loudest about uh, any particular topic at that point in time which is the the one that everybody looks on and focuses on and says oh this is reflective of the entire community which of course it isn't um so i don't know that the, the toxic element does exist that is a certainty are there more of those probably not are they louder than everybody else yes
1: it's it's funny that everybody uses our linux as an example i uh, I've never overly thought the comments on our Linux were that bad. Um, and maybe it's just the ones I've stumbled into each time have always been relatively constructive. You'll always get the, the odd troll, but I mean, maybe just reading YouTube comments just for a laugh has sort of galvanized (laughs) me to the fact that how bad human life can possibly be, um, that they just don't appear to be as bad as that. Uh, I think people go an awful long way to feel that they're not being constrained by something. So if you do happen to write a piece of software and it's not perfect and it allows you to get on and get by enough, I think people take an awful lot of pain before they're trapped in something like Windows 10 where, you know, depending on which upgrade you get, it breaks half your machine. I mean, it's not like the non-open world is
0: much better. That might be very true actually that people are just used to things being shit and it's it's not just linux and open source and we at least have the advantage of it being all the good stuff free open source you know you can actually know what's going on with it it's not got all hidden back doors in it and stuff so maybe i've just got expectations that are too high i mean i've spoken about many it must be over a year ago this idea that software having bugs is just wrong as far as I'm concerned we shouldn't have that expectation but we do and I remember you shooting me down about that feeling so we probably shouldn't open that kind of worms but <laughs> yeah I, I just seem to get this feeling that everyone isn't that bad in the Linux community and you
2: go outside of it and Jesus man there's some really terrible communities out there I also think there's a bit of a selection bias in the way we're talking about this. We're talking about people who are confident enough to express their opinions online. Um, And there's lots of people that I've met, people like me in certain ways, that don't like expressing themselves online or don't want to get involved in our Linux or on Twitter in big discussions about things. And they seem to be a lot of the people that I meet and have met over my time in Linux and open source. And a lot of them are just wonderful, kind, considerate people, you know, just normal, regular people. Um, And so discussions like this always seem to involve whoever's shouting the loudest. And there's always a lot of people who aren't saying anything who are, you know, just ordinary guys and girls. The centrist, silent majority. But equally, there's a certain kind of personality that likes Linux because of the technical aspects that it offered to them in the early days. And they really geek out over it. And they're the same kind of people who are maybe difficult to deal with online and express opinions that cause all kinds of arguments. And we have that as well. But, Will, you see the bad side of it every day. You must see the good side of it as well then. Yeah, absolutely. Take the Yarrow
3: community, for example. There's a group of guys, um, fairly small in number, uh, who have produced an extraordinary piece of work through collaboration. And they talk to each other every day. They support each other. Um, they offer critical feedback, but it's always taken in good faith. And it's a, an example of what can be done when, um, a community of people get together around a sort of shared interest in a shared topic. So yes, the, 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 the community forums that exist in the, in, on the internet, like Reddit and various discourse and, you know, forums and all that kind of thing are definitely a power for good. Um, and it allows people to meet like-minded people to focus on similar Projects, but um, yeah, as Graham said, the the vocal minority um, seem to spoil it for everybody, and seem to sort of enjoy hating on things. Um, I think Mark said this uh, in in the past that um, that people just love to hate something, and that seems to be prevalent in the open source community. Uh, in my experience, is aimed at Ubuntu. Uh, I'm sure that um, Fedora have their their fair share of uh, haters as well. And that whole um, approach to interacting with other people, just hating on whatever it is that they do, uh, I guess it's commonplace uh, everywhere in the world, but it just seems to be very pointed and very vicious around the open source community.
0: What about the idea that you have to be cruel to be kind, though, and that if you just put up with, shit software and don't say anything about it then it's never going to get any better but you know okay maybe sometimes or often or all the time people do it wrong in terms of how they tell you that it's shit but maybe there should be more constructive but just criticizing it for technical reasons isn't necessarily like a toxic thing but i feel like it does often get labeled that just immediately yeah i'm not talking about
3: in, in my examples, I'm not talking about people with genuine feedback coming along and being told that they're trolling just because they disagree with everybody. I mean, these are people with with literally no, no view about how things could be improved. They're there just to point out the fact that they don't like what you're doing and perhaps you should consider not doing it anymore.
0: That's their entire goal. KDE by default when? <laughs> <laughs> Unity sucks. Yeah. So the conclusion of this seems to be That I'm wrong and it's a false premise. It's a false dichotomy. It's not either everyone is a shithead or everyone is this, you know, rose-tinted glasses-wearing idealist. It's somewhere in between and most people are just sort of normal. Yeah, I think that's fair. The vocal minority ruining it (laughs) as usual. 52%. (laughs) yeah 52 percent of them and i'd just like to say that in our linux right
1: now the top post is that nasa uses kde and it's a real vnc client logging into the insight probe that just landed on mars so there you go Ah,
0: nice (laughs) very nice free software in space (laughs) well somewhere in the loop anyway (laughs) yeah right we should probably get out of here then so we'll be back in a couple of weeks um and then, is it one more until Christmas? I don't know. It's under a month till Christmas. I can't believe it. I'm getting so excited. Oh, I love Christmas, mate. I need to start shopping. I don't, and that's why I love it. Uh, I just need to buy a couple of Amazon vouchers for <laughs> the niece and nephew. And that's Seriously, that's all I have to do. Show your care with vouchers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even get a physical one. I just email it to them. and uh, <laughs> Customize it? Nope. Nope. Exactly, and then I just sit and drink <laughs> for two weeks. Uh, well, I have to actually work quite a lot this Christmas, but it's stuff I love. So what are you going to do? Anyway, right. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Then I've been Joe. I've been Phelim. I've been Graham, and I've been Will. See you later.